Christians are believers. Not believers in myths and legends and things that make you feel good in spite of the evidence, but believers in what God revealed through his prophets, his son, his son's apostles, and recorded for us in the Bible. So yes, a Christian must be a believer. That being said, a Christian is also called to be an unbeliever. And the same scriptures that encourage us to believe also encourage us not to believe. Now that's no more a contradiction than to say to live we must inhale and exhale. We can't do them at the same time, but both are necessary to maintain life. The same is true with belief and unbelief. You cannot believe truth without rejecting error. You cannot love righteousness without hating sin. You cannot serve Christ without denying self. So it shouldn't be surprising that there are some things we are not to believe. And John affirms that in our text for today. We're beginning the fourth chapter of 1 John. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. John has been discussing love, and at first glance, it looks like he's changed topics, but he hasn't. The last verse of chapter 3 says, And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. The verse before that reads, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. John is continuing to talk about love here, but is inserting a very important warning. You know, all talk about love is not to be believed. Because not everything said about it is from God. Some of it comes from spirits other than the Spirit of God and is spread by false prophets. Obviously, we should not believe what is spread by false prophets. And we need to be able to identify them. So let's look again at love and then look at the spirit behind false prophets and see how we can identify them. 
Further back in chapter 3, verse 18, John said, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Everybody talks about love. Religious cults, deviant groups, spiritual movements, and cultural influencers all claim to speak in the name of love. And some are gullible enough to believe that anyone who talks about love is from God and must be speaking the truth. But they're not. As we've noted before, love is many things. It's an emotion we feel, a desire we have, a force that can cause us to do many things. And many of the things done in the name of love are not pleasing in God's sight. They are not expressions of the love that has been commanded of us. True love Love that is more than an emotional feeling is shown through obedience to God. Jesus said, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. John recorded him saying that in his gospel and will remind us of it in the last chapter of this letter. We show love for God by obeying him indeed and truth. We show our love by what we do, whether we feel like it or not, and we're honest about it. We're not putting on a show or trying to curry favor with God or anyone else. We're just trying to return to him the sacrificial kind of love he has shown to us and has told us to show to others. Love that costs us something, not love that gets us something. That's not the kind of love we find expressed most often in the world. And not everything said in the name of love, even in a religious context, is true. You know, many promise to give love if we'll show love in a way that benefits them. They use love and love talk to control or to manipulate. God doesn't do that. He wants us to obey him because he loves us and knows what's best for us. He loves enough to tell us things we may not want to hear. And the devil knows that and uses it. The oldest trick in Satan's bag is to offer the fulfillment of of our heart's desire. He did so even in the Garden of Eden. God had told Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if he did, he would die. But the serpent told Eve that she could, that God wasn't being honest with them and was keeping them from something good and delightful. He wanted her to believe that he loved her, more than God did. Obviously, there are some things that are not to be believed. So it's as important that you don't believe as it is that you do. 
And the serpent isn't the only one out to deceive us. He has lots of helpers. In fact, there are many false prophets in the world today. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Jesus warned us of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Wolves in sheep's clothing, outwardly appearing to be loving and concerned, but inwardly desiring to devour. And we live in a world filled with ravenous wolves. Teachers who say things we like to hear, do good works, and even perform miracles to deceive and devour. And yes, false prophets do have supernatural connections. John makes it clear that behind the false prophet is an evil spirit, that just as the Holy Spirit can speak through men, so do evil spirits. That's why false prophets are so successful and can do the things they do, including the miraculous. Never forget that the priests in Pharaoh's court could actually turn sticks into snakes. Yes, false prophets can perform miracles. That's why we must not assume a teaching is true just because the one proclaiming it does something that appears to be from God. But even those who don't work miracles still have a spirit, or a demon, if you will, working with them. And their message is being proclaimed into a world that's blind to Satan's activity. You know, admittedly, it was easier to believe in demons in John's day than in our own. In the first century, there was widespread recognition of the existence of invisible spirits, the invisible realities unseen in a physical world. The ancient world twisted and distorted these spirits and made them gods and goddesses or mythological and legendary characters, but at least they recognized they were not alone in the universe. There were spiritual beings who could influence the thinking and attitudes of men everywhere. Today, man has come of age and has pretty much dismissed such thinking. But that's a dangerous position for us to take. Because scripture teaches they do exist. And if we don't accept the biblical testimony that demons exist, we expose ourselves to them without any defense. If we don't believe the enemy is there, we won't fight him. And victory is guaranteed. That's why Satan loves it. When we turn him into a cartoon character in a red suit with horns and a tail, he doesn't want us to believe he really exists. But Paul made it clear that our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Part of the reason the world is in the mess it's in today and our lives are in the mess they're in is because we've quit struggling. We don't believe there's any need to fight because we don't believe these principalities and powers, these evil spirits exist. But Jesus believed in demons. He taught they existed. He even cast them out of people's lives. He is the authority on the subject. And we need to compare what others say on the subject with what he has said. It doesn't matter if the man is a preacher or a professor or whatever. If his views are not the same as our Lord's, he's wrong. He may even be a false prophet, a teacher whose thoughts have come under the control of Satan and his spirits. He may have done this not knowing what he was doing, a victim of his own logic that dismissed demons, or he may be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Either way, he's not to be believed. So how do we know who to believe and not to believe? With so many voices shouting at us from the world, it's not feasible to study each one in detail before we come to a conclusion about them. And if we read their arguments, most of them sound convincing, and they have followers who are sincere. So is there a test that we can make of a teaching or a teacher that will enable us to know right away if it's from God or Satan? Is there something we can look for without wading through all they teach? There is. And John gives it to us in our passage for today. It might surprise you. By this, you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. That is the test. Does the teacher confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Does he acknowledge the historical incarnation of the Son of God, that he took on the form of a man by being born of a virgin? Now, John doesn't specifically mention the virgin birth here, but that's how God became flesh. The gospel narratives make that fact very clear. So a belief in the virgin birth is part and parcel to the belief that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And we just celebrated the birth of Christ. When, according to John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Matthew describes how that took place. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, 
Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Belief in the virgin-born Son of God is essential to Christianity, in spite of what some liberal scholars might suggest. We might think that this is something that only needs to be discussed in seminaries. No, it needs to be discussed here. You need to understand how important that truth is. In order for God to take on flesh, and thereby become human, he had to come into the world supernaturally. And if someone confesses that to be the case, the Spirit of God is, at least on that point, speaking through him. But if he denies it, he's under the influence of another spirit. The Spirit of the Antichrist. If someone refuses to confess that Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God, his teaching is of the Antichrist. It's against Christ. It's not Christian and is not to be believed by a Christian. We should not believe anything anyone says of a spiritual nature or that might have spiritual implications if they will not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And to confess it means more than to just say it. It means to acknowledge it is true that you wholeheartedly agree with what's been said. In fact, the word means to speak the same thing. If someone tries to explain away the virgin birth, he's not speaking the same thing Matthew told us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking under the influence of Satan, the father of all lies. The Son of God took on flesh so he could become 
human. God designed and personally fashioned a physical body for Christ to inhabit while on earth as he did for us in the beginning. To deny that of Christ is of the Antichrist. And to deny that of ourselves is to believe a lying spirit. Genesis makes it very clear that God formed man from the dust of the earth and that he created us in two forms, male and female, for good reason. For him to take on flesh, he had to forego the laws of reproduction. But there is no hint of confusion about our sexual nature in the virgin birth. And there should be none today. Questioning the way God designed us or the way he took on flesh does not come from the spirit of God. It comes from the Antichrist, which is obviously in the world today. There are things we are to believe and things we are not to believe. And while it may seem loving to close our eyes to reality and believe something that is obviously not true, it is not. We are to love in deed and truth. Anything less is from a lying spirit and is not to be believed.